Welcome to Path Forward Utah with your politics host here, Bob McEntee, talking about things in uh, Utah, the United States, and, and maybe even local. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go kind of local, state, state local, that is, uh, to begin with today and talk to you about things that, you know, you're going to have a hard time hearing anywhere else. And th- those would be like the, the GOP, you know, the Republican SCC. Uh, that's the state central committee that runs the Republican Party. Um, we've got our big meeting. It's the first meeting after all the elections. We get elected every two years to sit on the SCC. Uh, some people are on it by virtue of being elected to other offices, like including the governor, our federal delegation, you know, the six people who are all, if they're GOP, but they are. So our four congressmen in Utah, they're all GOP right now. The two senators are GOP. So they're, they're on the SEC. It's a body of about 180-something people. It varies a tiny bit um, year to year. Um, the Senate president is on the SEC by virtue of that position, and so is the um, Speaker of the Utah House. Uh, there are some other elected officials uh, from some counties, not from Weber County because we don't, we don't allow that, but other counties do. So you've got people like uh, uh, Senator Bramble, Senator Weiler on there, uh, and some former, you know, office holders like uh, former Speaker Greg Hughes, uh, former State Rep uh, Kim Coleman. She's on there. There's, there's probably some others I'm not thinking of, but they, they like to get on there because they want their hand in the party. Um, however, Weber County did ban that because we kind of felt like it was it was double power dipping. Uh, not a lot of other counties have done that, but Weber did. So this weekend will be our first meeting with the new SEC board. And that's where we do all of our elections for the positions within the party. Uh, however, we have a bonus this week. We talked about it a little bit last week. There's an opening for the treasurer spot. And I don't mean in the GOP party because that, you know, that might be interesting, but actually a lot of times treasurer spot, well, like this time and last time, there was no competition for that spot. One guy ran, one guy got it. Um, so I guess we're lucky to have uh, Mike Bird as our treasurer. But I mean for the Utah State Treasurer, which, you know, is an executive officer position in Utah, right up there with the governor, lieutenant governor, auditor, attorney general, and treasurer. Um, you don't hear as much about the treasurer because, well, that's how they like it, right? Because usually if you hear about the treasurer, it means they made a mistake, right? So one of the candidates said that our job is to stay out of the news and handle the money. You know, they handle the money two ways. First, they, they're going to try to make, you know, investments with the money for like the retirement fund and the rainy day fund, those kind of things. So they at least get some return on the money. So it's, it's helpful to have that kind of experience of some sort. Um, then they also have to, to sell bonds, right? If we have to borrow money, uh, then they're, they're going to be the ones to sell the bonds. You know, they also handle, like if you leave your money too long in, in a checking account, and the bank doesn't know what you're doing. Uh, I mean, if somebody died and there nobody nobody touches that account, then it gets turned over to the state, and, and the rightful owners can reclaim that property, but they have to go through the process of reclaiming it. Um, although I think the treasurers always like that because they always like, hey, check this website, see if we owe you money, you know. Or if like you say you had a 
you were due a tax refund and maybe you didn't file or something. And anyway, they kind of handle those things where the money's laying around. Um, so there's 10 people running for that. And the SEC, our, our little group of 180 something people will send three candidates to the governor and the governor will pick one of those to, to appoint as the new treasurer. And why do we get to do this? Because the previous treasurer was a Republican. So the Republican party gets to replace him. And, and this is our process. The SEC will send three uh, nominees, candidates, whatever you want to call them to the governor. The governor will appoint one. And the word on the street is the governor's keen to appoint a woman. Um, not sure why that is. If he uh, wants to, you know, prove his, uh, you know, affinity for women, I guess. Uh, he did just endorse the new women's pact to have women legislators. Um, more and more, it's a Republican pack. But, and I don't know, that's kind of, I didn't see that one coming for him to endorse the pack, but that was interesting. Um, but he does seem to want to point a woman. Well, there's two women running. Uh, they both have a little experience. One's an elected official now with, I think, uh, I want to say the Riverton City Council. And um, then the other is, is more of a CPA type. She's got a lot of certified public accountant experience. People would say, oh, well, a CPA, that's, you know, the treasurer should be a CPA. And a lot of people think that, except the one guy who's an institutional investor who says, no, you know, CPAs are like, you know, they're great bookkeepers and they can find stuff, but they may not know how to invest money. So that's a big difference. There's only one institutional investor, which is a little surprising. There's other investors of private funds, but only one institutional investor. He he did investment for like farmers insurance. Uh, his name is Marlo Oaks, uh, and his wife is a former SEC member, so she knew how to kind of tell him, "Hey, run for this," you know, because so. And, and he's just what you expect, you know. He's got glasses. He's got really clean hands. Um, you know, he knows a lot about money. Uh, I think. I think I kind of underrated him because he's kind of quiet. He's kind of got that kind of personality you expect from high financial people, but but he does know a lot. He, uh, I'm not necessarily advocating for any of them publicly here, but, but I was impressed that he came to our Weber County meeting last night. We had a Weber County executive committee meeting and it was kind of smart for him to show up because I'll tell you the truth, his emails and even the zoom conference we had with the candidates, he didn't come across that well, but there, there's just no substitute for somebody that will come and hang out with you and answer questions. And, and we peppered him with plenty of questions, you know, about his experience and, what would he do if, if we continue to have surpluses? And, you know, he felt like a banker. He's like, well, invest it. And then I kind of looked at him. I said, okay, all right. I know that's, that's your banker brain talking. You would invest money. I get it. What about the taxpayer side of you? And then the light bulb kind of went off. He's like, oh, well, maybe we can reduce taxes. I was like, yeah, you know, if we keep having surpluses, how about we reduce the taxes? <laughs> right? And that's, that's kind of a Republican platform plank too. So, I mean, Republicans should be aware of this, that, if you keep having, you know, too much money every year, yes, you can spend it like your lobbyist buddies are going to tell the legislators to do. You can put it in a rainy day fund. But let's don't forget we could lower taxes too. And the legislature has done a little bit of that, like a very modest, very modest reduction in uh, state income tax. It went from 5% to 4.95%. So, a tiny, like a 1% shavings off of what, and I don't mean a full 1%, like from 5% income tax to four. No, I mean the 0.05. Okay. But 
something's better than nothing. It makes them really nervous to reduce that income tax, by the way. It's like you're cutting their personal pay, right? Because I, I said to one lady, I'm like, why don't you guys cut at a quarter point? And she just recoiled in horror like that I would suggest. But the fact is we had a billion-dollar surplus. I'm like, how, how about you cut it, you know, because it makes Utah more attractive at And it tends to make the, the more you cut those income taxes, the more the money velocity increases. So I think our Republicans should actually understand. Ronald Reagan understood it. John F. Kennedy understood it, that when you ta- cut taxes, you stimulate the economy. You stimulate uh, the circulation of money. So I, I wanted to get this in our treasurer's heads. And I'll tell you later uh, in my show prep, I've got it a little bit later, the two questions I asked the treasurer to kind of kind of make them stretch their paradigm. And, and actually, no one knew the answers that I asked, but, but the, they could still comment on the concept. Um, kind of fun to hit them with a question nobody knows and see, see how they take it. But the SEC will also vote. I know, this is kind of like SEC rodeo. Like, how long can you stand it, right? Can you, can you take this another two minutes? Because that's how long we have to talk about it. But on the SEC, we elect every two years, is the Constitution and Bylaws Committee. Because they kind of are the screen, the filter of what gets through from the delegates to the SEC or from the delegates to convention. People may not know they screen them. I don't like that they do, actually. Uh, some screening could be valuable. But it's very powerful because they get to recommend, should we pass this bylaw or not? And people, for some reason, tend to listen to them. Um, I don't think they always should because they, they tend to be very establishment. But we have 16 SEC members vying for seven seats. So it, it's going to be a slugfest, right? It's going to be tough. We're going to have a lot of rounds of voting. We're going to vote for the treasurer first, then the audit committee second. Um, the audit committee, usually that's a snoozer. Usually they, they get five people to fill the five seats, and that's about it. But this year they have 12 people running for the five seats. It's really unusual, including State Auditor John Dougal, which makes you wonder. I mean, I'm, he's obviously qualified, right, super qualified, but does his regular job not keep him busy? I kind of wonder why he wants to – why does he want to get on the audit committee, the State Central Committee? Welcome back to Path Forward Utah with your host, uh, Bob McEntee, talking to you about Utah politics today. We're kind of honing in on Utah politics, and we'll get to uh, national in just a second here. Uh, look ahead at uh, next week, President Biden is going to meet with, uh, what do they call him over there, Putin? I can't remember his title. If he's, he's not prime minister, maybe he's president, although I'm not sure if they use that term in Russia. But, you, you know, we, we all know that Putin's the strong man in Russia, right? So they're going to sit down and meet and... You know, Putin's one of these former KGB spy guys is probably going to steer Biden down and, you know, try to scare him, <laughs> which we'll see how that goes. It could be interesting. Um, and I'm sure they're going to talk, you know, nuclear stockpiles and uh, energy agreements, those kind of things. And I'll tell you what, I personally, 
I don't love what we've done with energy. You know, we were, I mean, you go back a year ago, we were energy independent, the United States, yeah, and we hadn't been that way for a long time, but President Trump kind of got, got some of the government regulation out of the way, made it easy for oil and gas companies to, to get what they needed, and they did. And the United States became the biggest energy producer in the world. In fact, we exported. And why does that matter? Well, it's good U.S. jobs, right? We had the pipeline guys working. We got the oil worker guys working. And they, they make good wages. We got truck drivers stuff, trucking stuff around, and, and we're actually selling oil to other countries. So that means we're, we're gaining. You know, they're paying us as a country. We're bringing in money instead of exporting money to buy oil. And from people that at any time can just go, you know what? No oil for you, right? They could just cut us off if they want, or they could limit our supply, and that's going to drive up the price, and they know that. And so oil prices have been going up, by the way. Uh, it's gone from, I think, the, a low of you know 30. Well, actually, for a little while, for a very little while, oil went to a negative price because there was nowhere to store it. Nobody could store it. It was the oddest thing, but oil went negative last year. Um, this year, it's gone up and up and up. It, it was my... Um, uh, non-reliable investment uh, gossip, right? It's not investment advice because I'm not qualified, but my investment gossip was you should buy Gush, the triple oil ETF. So if oil goes up 1%, the Gush should go up 3%. That's kind of how that works. It doesn't always work exactly that way, but close. And I recommended buying oil. Well, oil's, oil broke through $70 a barrel um, this, this last week, and I think it's going to keep going. The forecast is for $100 a barrel, We'll see what happens. Um, but losing energy independence, I don't like it, right? And we got pipeline workers out of work now. Uh, and that's unfortunate because even the energy secretary said pipelines are clean and efficient, right? And then, then she got a talking to and she had to kind of walk that back, but she was right. Um, that also brings up the, the next topic I wanted to. Let, let me finish on the SEC, right? So it's going to be a big slugfest for the Constitution and Bylaws Committee. And the audit committee, which can go, hey, wh where's all that money, right? They can go to the treasurer and look at the budget and say, what are you doing with the money? They can also look at processes, which, you know, nobody had ever talked about the audit committee doing that. But I think that's why all of a sudden it's got, you know, more than two to one ratio of people running for the seats available. That's a real surprise. Usually you barely get anyone on it. Anyone who wants to be on the audit committee just could be. But not this year. This year. Yeah, the big guns are out for those seats. It's really interesting. I know the people running, of course. Um, those of us who've been around the SEC longer, sometimes that's good or bad. They know you. They know you're, if you're conservative or moderate. So they know how to vote with you. But the new people, sometimes they get on these things because nobody knows them. And if they have a nice speech or smile or good hair, you know, maybe they get on a committee. Uh, not exactly how it should be, but how it tends to be in politics. There's also the executive committee. And so the, the chair of Constitution and bylaws will, will be on the executive committee, same with the chair of the audit committee, and two people from each congressional district. Uh, and usually there's, there's like, you know, two to five people run for that. This year it's more like about three people in each congressional district running for two seats. So not a big slugfist there. The EC is an advisory board. Um, they get to work closely with the chair and the vice chair, treasurer, secretary. So it's kind of nice to be on that. It's like the kitchen table of the Republican Party. Um, they don't have a lot of power to do stuff, but they, they can recommend. And, um, we'll see how that goes. 
And it's going to be a Zoom meeting as well as in person. But I hope people show up in person for this meeting to meet the 10 treasure candidates and the other ones. But back to what I was talking about. Back, back to oil costs a lot more. You know, so anything associated with oil, like if you get any goods delivered, well, that's going up. And in fact, there's a truck driver shortage too. That's, that's a whole nother thing. All these labor shortages because, well, they've kept the unemployment really high. You're getting like bonus unemployment. So people are staying home. Surprise, surprise, right? People consider personal economics. Since we've made it easy to just stay home and hang out or go fishing or whatever people are doing, people are taking advantage of that. Now, about half the country, the Republican states, has said that's enough. We're cutting off the excess, the extra unemployment benefits. And that is, is a move to try to get people back to work. Now, Utah has uh, pretty good employment, right? We, we, don't, we did cut those off, but I think our people weren't so inclined to just stay home. Uh, but some were, right? Because take a look at those, you know, now hiring kind of signs. They're all over there. In fact, we had a, a record number of job openings unfilled. So there's a lot of that going on. And then we've got inflation. The economic reports that in the last year, percent year over year, that may not sound like a stunning number, but it's, it's pretty big because most people, they're not getting like 6% raises, right? So they're just barely breaking even. They may be going underwater a little bit because of the cost. And yet the treasury yield, what the government sells their bonds for, it, it yields 1.5%, the 10-year treasury note, meaning you gotta, you got to sign up for 10 years of treasury note to get 1.5%, which is not a lot of money, especially when inflation is 5%. So it's, it's really kind of artificially low. That's because the Federal Reserve. Is buying these treasury bonds, which is kind of like the snake eating its tail. Right, buying them, and some real people are. And other countries used to buy our bonds, like China, Japan. They would buy our bonds, but right now it's mostly the Federal Reserve buying the nation's bonds. This this is not going to go on forever. And Glenn Beck did a great job with an economist. He pointed out that if we calculated inflation, like we did in the 1980s when inflation was really high, and so our our Treasury yields went way up. And in fact, the mortgages on homes they went to I think about 21 percent was the max they went. It's a lot of money. Most of your money is going to, if you buy a new home, a lot of it's going to go toward paying the interest. But he said, want to take a guess, detrimental guess, what would inflation be now if we calculated it like we used to? You know, I think a little more honestly. I'll give you a hint. It's bigger than 5%. It would actually be 15%. That's huge. People would be freaking out if, if they knew that inflation was 15%. But when you go to the grocery store and the gas station or you try to buy a home, because it's not easy to do right now. Um, in fact, there's something going on with homes that, that bears watching, not, not just the price inflation. But what's happening is real estate investment trusts, which are actually not a bad investment. You get paid pretty good interest if you own one of those. By law, a real estate investment trust has to pay out 90% of what they make in dividends, right? So they're high dividend payers. They'll pay 6 7 8 9%. When things are going good, they pay 12%. Uh, but the rights, real estate investment trusts, are buying up properties, and they're not buying to sell it again. They're buying to hold it. And why do they want to hold it? Because they want to make you renter nation, right? Like Microsoft used to sell you uh, software, right? You, you bought Word, it's yours. They're going to give you updates for 10 years or whatever the deal was, but you on the program. You can just say, but, well, now they prefer to rent Word to you, 
right? You can you can rent the service and get some storage for so much per year. And before the pandemic, if you remember, there was a push to stop private ownership of vehicles and rather go to um, shared ownership of vehicles, right? Where you would just kind of timeshare a vehicle and pay less. Uh, but the pandemic put a stop to that. Well, that's what they want to do with homes. They want to rent these homes back to people. And I say that's a bad move. Part of the American dream is to own your own home. And if you can't, because the real estate investment trusts own them all and they want to make you a renter, that's going to be ugly. Of course, new homes could be built, but we'll talk about that after the break. Uh, but home builders have cut back too. We'll talk about that why after the break. Passport Utah with your your host, uh, Bob McEntee, talking politics. And today we're focusing a little bit on national economics, right? And we we're talking about inflation, how if we went back to how they calculated inflation in the 1980s, uh, we would be at 15%. And you know what? The government can't afford 15% on, you know what our national debt is? It's run, if you look at the U.S. debt clock, you just search for that, you're going to find it. We're running at $28 trillion in debt. And we have to pay interest on that. And so I think the Federal Reserve has kind of been working to make sure interest rates stay low so our government doesn't either not have enough money to pay or has to cut essential things, right? Because, I mean, if, you're, if your debt load doubles because your interest rate doubles, I mean, that's got to come from somewhere, right? And it could lead to uh, – deflation and then inflation or even hyperinflation. And it's really tricky. I, you can, I think they're nervous trying to balance this. Um, I don't mind explaining this. And let me tell you a factoid. U.S. students, right, in the latest survey of math skills, you know, from testing, uh, where do you think we rank in the world? You know, are we in the top 10, top 20, top 30 nations for math? You might hope so because I'll bet we're in the top 30 for paying for education, right? Well, the fact is our students ranked number 31 in mathematics. Um, and you, you don't need too much formal mathematics to understand debt and interest, but it's kind of sad to see us steadily declining as we, um, you know, have more, well, more money in teaching, more computers than ever available. Uh, of, course, of course, we know that students respond to in-person, right? That's always the best way. Uh, like I said, with that treasurer candidate, you know, I read some of his emails, I, I listened to him on Zoom, but I really wasn't impressed. But then when I met Mr. Oaks in person, I was like, oh, well, okay, he's a lot better than what I thought. Uh, and, and that's how it is for teaching. I think students need a little bit of bond with their teacher, and that can help things along. But it, it's, you know, I think we need to get them back in the classroom, which most of them are, but some still aren't. Speaking of education. Okay, let, let's pull out of economics for a minute and go to education because that determines a lot of what's going to happen in the future. Well, this week, Florida and Iowa both banned the teaching of critical race theory. And I say good for them. Can we talk about race? Sure. Can we talk about history of race? You bet. Even ugly stuff? 
I guess so. We can. We do. I mean, you know, but you shouldn't just, it's kind of like family history, right? There's good things happen in families and there's bad things. And if you, if you just only focused on the bad, well, that would seem, that would, that would be bummer, right? You just always have depressing stuff or fights at the family table. No one likes the bad stuff to be bought up over and over and over again. And the Bible has a saying, um, I got to paraphrase it. This isn't exactly how the King James puts it, but it's close that for lack of fuel, the fire goes out. You know, so if you, if you want to remember the Wall Street massacre in Oklahoma that happened in 1921, if you want to do a weekly remembrance of that, I guess we could get everybody worked up about what happened 100 years ago. Uh, but does that really help us out? You know, can, can we get past it? We're not doing it now. In fact, now people of all races want to come to the United States. So the immigrants coming in, legal and not legal, are definitely voting with their feet that, hey, you know, we're not so worried about the racism in the United States. We want the benefits. We want the opportunity. We want the jobs. We want the freedom that still remains. Um, so I, I think people voting by their feet are saying, you know, critical race theory, which is trying to label whites only as racist and giving other, other, other people a pass, right, which is just against human nature. Because I will tell you, in South Africa, they are plenty racist against white people. Okay, and they're taking it out with violence. In fact, a lot of they they they're raping women there to just because they're white, right? And and I don't mean, you know, the most peaceful kind of rape. You know, I mean I mean the mostly not peaceful kind of rape, damaging the women, and and to the point that somebody invented something like a a female condom that actually has like barbs on it, so that if somebody tries to rape the woman. They get barbed, you know, they get, they get, that's fair play, right? I mean, if you can't have guns, I guess you need stuff like barbed female condoms to stop rape. I mean, that doesn't sound fun to wear one, but, but that's what, it's so bad in South Africa. So don't let anybody tell you that only one race can be racist. That's, that's a lie. And we know from human nature that anybody can, can be racist or, and I don't think that talking about it over and over helps either. Uh, and that's why that's why Republican states in general, although some others too, are stepping out and going, we don't want this taught. In fact, we're going to make it illegal. In fact, back to the SEC, there is there are two resolutions this week. Um, we only meet quarterly, by the way, unless there's a special meeting called. We just meet four times a year. But two resolutions put forth by SEC members are one. It's about Second Amendment rights to just underscore that we want those preserved properly, and we don't want the state spending any money to crack down on whatever the feds might dream up for gun control. We're not going to expend $1 to enforce their nonsense. So great. The other is about the teaching of critical race theory, and importantly, anything like it, right? Because we don't want this repackaged under some name, you know, and then presented again under, under a new name. Like when a company goes bad and they bankrupt but then they come back with a new name right not everybody knows it's the same people so that's the other resolution and and i predict they will both pass there's a lot of unity in the republican party that we don't want critical race theory taught uh, we can talk about race we can talk about that stuff a little bit but but we don't need a, a dedicated um discussion of it that, that blames one race and and doesn't have any accountability for others so enough on that let me go to something really interesting. I've done a little research, and I, I'm a history major, 
And sometimes when you see one state doing something different than the other 49, you go, why is that? And I discovered two states doing something different on, on finances. Uh, and I asked the treasurer candidates for their view on it. Now, they're treasurer candidates, right? So a lot of them, they're, they're, they kind of hedge a lot, right? They don't want a straight-up answer. They, they're not like, you know, Greg Hughes who will just give you a quick answer because he's already thought about it usually, by the way. But they, they really hedge. They get nervous, you know. They want to check stuff out first. Okay, fair enough. But there is one state that does not even allow it's illegal to have title insurance in Iowa. Just that's the only state, right? Now, Utah is not as bad as some other states, although we it's a big expense. Let me tell you, if you sell a house, you know, and usually people they don't they don't necessarily hone in on all the expenses, but let me tell you. A title insurance is kind of expensive. It's a percentage of your home, usually over 1% of the value, somewhere like 1.2. It, it kind of depends what you have to insure. But both the seller pays and the buyer pays for title insurance. It's a lot of money. And all they do is like a records check, right? I mean, does it cost them much to do it? No, it doesn't. Uh, in fact, here's the cost. So when you get your car insurance bill, maybe it's, you know, 300 bucks a semester, meaning like a six-month period to insure your car. Well, 75% of that that you pay to the insurance company goes toward claims, right? Because there's accidents, there's hail damage, there's stolen vehicles, all that stuff. So they take what you send them, and 75% of that is paid out in claims back to the people. Um, the rest is a little bit of profit and then taking care of their expenses. They have to advertise. They have to pay their staff, right? All that stuff. they got to send a guy out. You know how it is. They have certain expenses. Um, title insurance. Well, let me tell you, they're not paying out 75% in claims. In fact, it's less than 2%. So they charge you a ton of money, right? Because it's a house thing. So they know there's big money change in hands, so they want some of it. And yet they almost never have to pay out because it's very rare that there's a claim on a title or a problem with a title. So when you go to the, the states where they flash it a little bit, you go to a California title company, oh my gosh, they're beautiful. A nice building you got the marble countertops, the nice air-conditioned office with nice furniture. You probably got some a, a big fish tank on the wall, maybe on all the walls while you sit there. It's beautiful. That's because they make a ton of money off you, right? And they know that you have to have it when you sell a house. But in Iowa, they don't allow it. In Iowa, um, the state runs it. And does the state make it more expensive or less expensive? Well, a lot of times, a lot of times governments are inefficient, but sometimes, once in a while, they can be the best way to go. And in Iowa, the government handles home titles just like they do car titles in every other state, marriage licenses, that sort of thing. It costs about one sixth what it normally does. But there's no there's no private title insurance companies with with the nice fish tanks and the the beautiful air-conditioned building with nice new furniture, probably the leather couches that are nice to sit on while you wait to pay them a lot of money. So I asked these guys, should should Utah consider doing that? Should Utah State take over uh, title insurance like Iowa did? Oh, man, they hemmed and hawed. They, were, they got nervous, you know. They Well, you know, government never well. But see, in this case, government, well, what if there's a mistake? Well, you know, title companies make mistakes too. Well, the law. Well, you know, we change over a 1,000 laws a year. So I, I tried to force him to think, and I, I kind of kept backing up. We'll talk more about that and, and the other state that doesn't have a Federal Reserve Bank in the state after the break. 
Welcome back to Path Forward Utah with your political host, Bob McEntee. Today, talking about uh, economics, talking about the Utah treasurer candidate. And and I was just discussing one of the questions that I I did put to uh, the platform Republicans, who I'm I'm a board member with. We hosted a QA and a discussion with all the available ones, which was 9 out of 10. One guy had, like, uh, military guard duty, so he couldn't make it. So, acceptable excuse, right? I give him a pass on that one. Um, but I asked all the other ones. I had, well, I didn't ask the first group. I asked the second group of five people. Okay, you know what state doesn't allow title insurance, and should we do what they do? Because it's one sixth of the cost. Is that a good service to the people? And actually, to tell you the truth, most of them were kind of shocked at that. None of them knew that Iowa did it. I let them guess, right, just to see if they knew or they could guess. You know, uh, somebody said Texas, which is a good guess. A lot of times, Texas will do things different than other states, but not in this case. It was Iowa. And I think, actually, it's a good service to the citizens because you know how states like to track stuff anyway. Um, and one of them agreed that as long as there wasn't um, onerous you know, tracking um, or, or they wanted to track because they wanted to add taxation or something to, that it might be okay. But most of them kind of hemmed and hawed and were a little bit scared of it, right? And they, if, if you didn't tell them the state did it, they might tell you it's illegal, but it's not. But they did have the Republican virtue of, gosh, we don't want to put private businesses out of out of commission, right? Okay, that's a fair point. And yet, and they said, well, shouldn't competition bring the price down? Well, but it doesn't. Because sometimes you get like these cartel prices, kind of like, like gasoline. You see, you know, if the Chevron's uh, selling the gas for $3.39 a gallon, you can bet that the neighboring ones are going to be within one or two cents a gallon, right? And if Chevron raises it a nickel, guess what? They're going to do the same, right? kind of what the airlines do. They look at each other. Yeah, there's some competition, but there's also a desire of how much will the market bear? And when other Republicans were telling me, and again, a fair point, normally I'm reticent to say, hey, the government can do it better because usually the government's slower, they're bloated, they're more expensive. um, They can just be frustrating, right? But on the other hand, sometimes government is the way to go. Like when you're talking streets, managing the streets, air traffic control. People forget those are government guys, actual government employees that run air traffic control. They do a pretty good job. I don't know what the private sector would pay or how we would pay that bill, but I I think it would probably be more expensive, but they've done a good job. But what's the same with titles, right? And so when they're telling me the state shouldn't do that, I'm like, oh, well, so should the state privatize driver's licenses? Well, you know, because if so, I want that business. I want to, you know, sit up charging whatever it is, 30 bucks to get a license, let's charge 150 and we'll make sure we're on par with everybody else, right? So we'll have private issuance driver's license, right? Uh, but I don't think people would want that. And the state, don't they track your car title, right? Do you, do you want that privatized? Do you want to have to pay like car title insurance and stuff or do you want the state to do it? So, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, um, the, we shouldn't default to the government, right? Because very often the government is oppressive or expensive or slow or just bad, but sometimes they're the right answer. Do I want the government to take over restaurants? No, they'd, that'd be horrible, right? They'd probably be like one same kind of restaurant style or maybe a couple. They tried that in Russia. It's no fun, right? They got state-run grocery stores. Like we have state-run liquor stores. That's no fun. But once in a while, you got to bump up against the paradigm. And when I challenge the other Republicans, oh, well, do you want do you want driver's licenses privatized and 
card title, they realized, oh, well, maybe it's okay that I can get a, a new title for 10 bucks, right? Anyway, enough on that one. But this one is, is kind of where sometimes government can find a way around the rules to do it better. And there is one state in the United States that has a state-run bank, only one. Um, it could be bad, but this state manages it well. However, they're not part of the Federal Reserve System, which most banks are. That means they're not federally insured. They don't have the FDIC insurance like most banks do, so, so your deposits are at risk. However, what happened was back in 1919, the farmers up in North Dakota, that's where the state-run bank is, they got tired of bankers in Chicago and New York deciding if they could have a loan on their farm or to buy seed or whatever they needed, you know, because these guys didn't understand farming and they were far away and they didn't care. So they kind of pooled their assets together and they made like a co-op bank and then the state took it over. And so the, the, the charter of that state run bank is to give low interest loans to North Dakota citizens, right? So they will give that agricultural loan, right? And just like any bank, you know, they can, they could take your farm if you don't pay the bill, but the advantage is they're more spring-loaded to say yes, and they can they can have really low interest rates, right? Because they don't they don't have all the overhead, they don't have the reserve deposits, they they get away with not all the rules. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, I'm actually a little more keen on the state could run title insurance and do its citizens a big favor if they do it right. Um, and, and I have to say, back to title insurance for a second, I had a friend call me up and tell me about his experience with the title company. He heard me talking about this. And the title company messed him over, right? They didn't pay the taxes to the county that they were supposed to pay, right? So he gets this nasty letter from the county, says, you're delinquent, you're behind, we're going to take your house, and we're going to add some late fees. And so he called up the titling company because they handle all the escrow. Like, what are you guys doing? They apparently... They had mismanaged $3,800, and they, they made him pay it again, right? And you don't have a lot of accountability with the title. Protect you a little bit more from, from abuses like that. It doesn't always go well. Now, if the state was messing it up, you'd want to take it away from them. But if they run it right, you'd want to allow that. Uh, but back to the bank. So North Dakota has a bank. It's not FDIC insured. But it was, it's, it's been very beneficial to the people of North Dakota. And it allows them an easy one step. Like if, if the dollar crashes, right, well, they're, they're not necessarily tied into the U.S. dollar. They could make up a state currency, just like the, the Constitution allows for states to have currencies. We just tend not to do it, right, because we've kind of federalized it. But there's still states can do it. Utah allows precious metals, silver and gold, to be used as money, and we don't always tax them for the full capital gains, right, to kind of allow that use of money. Uh, one of the treasurer candidates, Chadwick Fairbanks, he, he suggested that the state could do that with, like, Bitcoin and those kind of things, too, that we wouldn't tax the capital gains on it to encourage people to have an alternate currency if they would like. That's really kind of interesting. Um, but banks, it's interesting when only one state has done it. It, it, it is kind of a, a revolutionary act. Let's put it that way. And do the bankers like not being in control of all the banks? I don't think they do. You know, I don't think they want to see a dozen other states have their own state-run bank. But it, it's a question that I thought the treasurer should think about. Because, you know, what if, what if it does get really hard to borrow money? And but what if a state could have its own banks and, and be favorable to businesses that want to, want to create jobs and pay taxes in the state? I, I think they should 
I think they should consider that. So I'm glad that North Dakota and Iowa are examples that you don't have to do everything the traditional way. Uh, if you search, there's some good articles out there about, about the North Dakota Bank and about Iowa making title insurance actually illegal. I found one article said title insurance is a scam. I mean, it, it more or less kind of is a legal scam. They really wring a lot of money out, you, out of you without a lot of expense. And it, it, believe me, if you look at your receipt on a home sale, you're, you're paying usually uh, four digits, you know, thousands of dollars for title insurance that, that you only get to use once, right? It doesn't really benefit you uh, unless there's a claim, but that's very rare. Let's move on to another matter. Um, I, I, I over-talk these things because I think when we're 31st in math, we need to start talking about mathematic subjects too. But um, here, here's some math for you. $400 billion, is that a lot of money? I mean, sounds like a lot of money to me. And even the, even the government would acknowledge that's a lot of money. Why is that? Because that's more than half of the, um, what the DOD gets in a year. So the defense budget that runs all the airplanes and the tanks and bases all over the world and pays all the soldiers and pays contractors, that's, that's about $700 billion a year lately. It might go down with, um, you know, with Joe Biden in office. They, they tend to cut that. Maybe, maybe not. But $400 billion is a lot of money, and it could do a lot of things. Well, so what do we spend $400 billion on? Well, there's a, a report came out this week that there was $400 billion in estimated unemployment fraud. Remember we were talking about the juicy unemployment? Well, I, I actually wrote our auditor. I go, hey, how is Utah doing at policing um, our unemployment benefits? Right? I haven't heard back from him, by the way. Usually I think he's pretty good at looking into that kind of stuff. But, but I don't know. Is anybody checking for fraud? Because we want to deter that. Because when we're saying that half the money paid out in unemployment and big, fat, juicy unemployment was to crooked claims. Uh, there, there's several articles on that. And, and it's really disappointing to hear that we haven't put in the safeguards. Because kind of like shoplifting. That way we can't help the people that need the help as much, right? Because half the money is going to fraud. And we don't want that. So I would, I hope you'll join me in asking our state auditor and maybe treasurer to say, hey, are you going to look at fraud in Utah? Because if I need those unemployment benefits, I, I want them there for me, right? Or my loved ones. So let's don't have robbery be the norm. Let's punish the evildoers. We'll come back next week, talk about these same subjects again. Thanks for listening.